So let's, uh, let's kind of dive in. This is that time of year where people are, uh, maybe you're doing resolutions, maybe you're not. I'm not a pro or against resolution guy. Uh, but I do know that this is a time of year as it passed um, that to, to basically evaluate maybe what I'm doing in my own relationship with God. Uh, what are my shortcomings? Where am I not measuring up? Where does God want me to focus on? I, I think that's a good thing to do. And I think it's also wise for our church to do that. Um, and that's kind of what we've done today and the sermon that we'll, we'll speak of. So, so in, in your pursuit of all of those other things that you'll do with resolutions, you'll maybe get back in the gym. Sure, do all of those things. Get back in the gym. Uh, man, do your shake weight. Go get, uh, go get a lot of spandex. Um, man, drink your shakes. Do all of those things. Exercise. Those are cool things. But what if today we can focus on, instead of just self-disciplines to make our, our self better, uh, what about if we could focus in and zoom in on the church and, and evaluate our own commitment to this covenant family that God has brought in today. So that's what we're going to zoom in and talk about. So our church, uh, as I mentioned that word, we have definitions that are all over the place about what the word church is. And I want to make sure that we lay down cultural bias or um, old, uh, just traditional views of what we think church is and define it by Scripture today. This idea of church really started back in the Old Testament when God took the people of Israel and set them apart from the rest of the world and says, these are the people, I'm making a covenant with you and you are to live in light of this covenant that I'm making with you. Uh, it wasn't with the entire world, it was just with the Israelites. Uh, this idea of covenant family is continuing in the New Testament with the birth of the church. We see it in Acts and it spread like crazy. And God started planting a churches, little covenant families all throughout, all over the entire world. It broke down every tribal, socioeconomic, racial lines, division, all of those, and set up little covenant communities within those things called the church. Now, the church was created not for the world. It was not a place for everyone in the world to go to, although they're welcome to, right? But it was created just for the people that were in a covenant relationship with God And those that were not come to hear the gospel and enter into that covenant family. So we're going to define that today as a church, as the creek. If you've been here a while, if you've not, let me let you know what we try to do here. Our aim as a church is to show gospel centrality in everything that we do. Uh, Gospel-centered worship. Gospel-centered service, gospel-centered generosity, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered multiplication. Everything that we do, we want to center it and focus it around the gospel because that's what fuels every single thing that we do. Well, you can have all of those things and you can do all of those things and them not be gospel-centered. You can worship and it not be gospel-centered. Today, for example, in NFL cities all across the country, there will be worship going on in the stadiums and some living rooms, all right? Unless you are a Titans fan, and even idol worshipers know that they're unworthy of that. So you can have worship, and it not be gospel-centered. You can give generously, and it not be gospel-centered. I've got friends that are not Christians, 
Um, and they sometimes they're more generous than Christians that I know, to be honest. And they give regularly. They give to homeless people on the side of the road. They give uh, to Salvation Army. Uh, man, they even some of them even give to the church, right? So they can you can give and it not be gospel center. But God doesn't care about that. He wants to know the motivations behind that. Now you can also experience uh, community and it not be gospel-centered. Today, I'm going to zoom in on what gospel-centered community looks like, a community that's based upon the gospel. But you can experience community with outside of that. Um, today, we live in a culture and a time that you can really have a broad range of community with a lot, a lot of people, uh, but it not be and not have any depth to it. And you can literally let people know the most useless, worthless information about you, possibly, that really doesn't even matter. Like you can uh, tweet out a picture of your sampler platter at Applebee's today and make everyone jealous of your potato skins. Okay? Uh, you can, um, we, we are no longer left hanging wondering what people are doing all day long because they so generously post updates every hour on what they are doing on social media, right? So there, there can be all of that community. We can have lots of friends, but there be no depth to those things at all. So something has gone drastically wrong with how we define community, and we want to zoom in on gospel community uh, today. So that's where we'll be hunting in. I think the problem uh, with, with this community thing, the, the basis of those things is because we have, we've based our, uh, our community on commonalities that change. As our life changes, our commonalities change, so then we don't ever really experience a real community. Let me explain it like this. Uh, when me and my wife, Callie, got married at a young age, uh, most of our friends were still single. So, man, we were still going out doing things, and they'd call us at 8 o'clock at night. Hey, you guys want to go out? We're game. We throw on some clothes. We can go out, get home by 12, 1, sleep in until 10, and then start the day. Well, as our home began to be filled with more children, all right, well, you can't call the house at 8 anymore because we will probably get upset because you might have woken up a baby at that point. Right? Uh, things are changed. You call me at, at seven, and, and I'm like, well, hey, why don't, instead of that, why don't you come over and eat dinner and leave by eight? All right, that's what we're trying to do. We are, uh, we're in a new life stage than those people, so that community that we once had has altered and it has changed. Uh, I, I come from a sports background family in my own personal life and also my kids. Um, and here's what I know. Every team that my kids played for, there's like a little mini community in there. There's the team you know, the, the players on the team, the parents that you connect with. You have like a little community. Well, when season's over or you don't, you're not with that team anymore, you move on. And yeah, you're still friendly and cordial with some of those people, but you don't have that tight-knit community that you had when you were on that team or you were a parent on that team. Stuff Changes, commonalities change over and over again, and they're never long lasting. Some, I got some friends that base their commonalities upon their hobbies. And hobbies have a way of, of really taking life away from you. And I, I, here's what I mean. Man, I've got friends that base their commonalities and their community on running or exercising, right? They get Zumba class, plug in anything you want to, and they do those things and their little communities in there. But here's what happens. 
your body starts to break. Uh, that's going to happen to all of us. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's inevitable. Your feet start to get jacked up. Your hips start popping like uh, Rice Krispies treats. Uh, or you just get hurt doing nothing. Like you're in the shower, you're washing your calf, and you snap your ACL and it just buckles on you. All right? Your bodies are returning to dust as mine are turning. So now that you can't engage in those activities anymore, your commonalities have changed. You're not in community with those people anymore because you don't have the same shared experiences. So what is the basis? How do we get underneath all of these things to something that's real? Because here's what I see. On all of those things, man, I see a, a, a Christian people today in our culture that put more passion, more love, more affection, more dedication to communities outside of the church than they do in the church. They're, they're, they're all in on those communities. I will love you. I will spend my money with you. I'll spend my time with you. And I'm all in on those communities. And I'll exhaust everything I do. And I will forsake a covenant relationship with my church and here's what I want you to know today. All of those things, although you need to engage culture, you need to live sent, you do not have a covenant with those people. Those commonalities will change. And you are not in a covenant family with your classmates. You're not in a covenant family with your teammates, with your employees at your job. As those change, your relationships will change. You don't have commonalities with all those people that you run with or you exercise with. You are not in a covenant with those people. Today you can take a look around and you will see many people that are in a covenant family with you. That will be in it forever and you will see them at the, at the face of God and the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. And you may not see all of those out there. And too many people are forsaking this and I don't mean Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean community, love, affection for this on what's happening outside. And we must press in and correct this. We need to live missionally. We need to live sent. But not to forsake having community with these people. Covenant community. By definition, covenant means it's thicker than anything. It's through the good bad, ugly, it's long-lasting. It's not going to change when the commonalities change. Blood is thicker than water. We've always heard that, right, with our families. Families are everything. Blood's thicker than water. Well, let me tell you what, Jesus' blood is thicker than all of that. And I don't have a covenant with my family. And you need to, That's a tough one, I know. Hear me, I got family members that will not and have not surrendered to God. They don't have a relationship with Christ. Oh, I wish they did, but I don't have a covenant with them. A covenant family is stronger than our earthly families. And that's what I want to press in on today. How do we live in light of this? Let's pray before we dive into some tough things. I love you. God, Father, we, we uh, come this morning uh, to lay out our hearts, our open minds, to let you define, not redefine, but to simply define what church means. We don't need to redefine it because you've already defined it in Scripture. I pray that we would be open-minded to, to looking like a New Testament church. When we read a, 
the Bible, we see the church that was an unstoppable force in the book of Acts. That's what we long for. That's what I long to lead a church that looks like that. Father, I pray that we're receptive to it. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name because you gave us this bride called the church. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, so let's dive in and, and let's look at what should be the basis. All right, all of those other things are commonalities that change over and over and over and over again. What should be the basis for all of this? The foundation that does not move. In 2 Corinthians, go 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. And here's what I want you to see in this passage. Uh, this is Paul. And if you've ever, uh, there's not really a more dysfunctional group of people, a dysfunctional church in the Bible than the church at Corinth. They butcher, uh, man, uh, the gift of sex. They butcher the role of, of man and woman. They celebrate a man who's having sex with his father's wife. And they thank, thank you, God, what a blessing this is. They, this is a messed up church. And yet Paul never abandons them. He never leaves them. He yells at them quite passionately, but he never leaves them. It's all out of a love and an affection for them. And he says, I'm not leaving you. And he pulls them all together because they're all over the place, all messed up, comes together and says, listen, we are going to unify in this. This is the common thread that's interwoven throughout the covenant family. This is what we base all of our relationships on that never changes. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. He's speaking to the church. Remember, just the people who've surrendered to the body of Christ or to, to, to Jesus. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all. Jesus has died for all of us. Brothers in Christ, not all of the world. That's not what he's saying. Therefore, all have died. We've all died. And he died for all. That those who live might, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who is their sake died and was raised. And so the basis of our relationship, why I'm in a covenant relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ here, the basis of all of that is that you and I have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all died. And that we've all believed and surrendered in Jesus Christ, that we found ourselves lacking in the righteousness that God required us to have. And that Jesus stepped into that gap and fulfilled that righteousness for us. Gospel-centered Community. That's the common thread that weaves all of us together if you're in Christ. All right? That never changes. So, no matter whatever life stage you're in in this entire world, that will never ever change. That is bedrock, people. That's the foundation for why we do what we do. It does not matter if you have never cussed in your entire life outside of the one time that you said fiddlesticks. Okay, Or you cussed on the way to church this morning. By the way, don't do that. But it you, you, doesn't matter if you, uh, you've never been high in your entire life or you got high last month. It doesn't matter if you've never experienced with any kind of drugs or you struggle with addiction today. Common 
ground that we all fall short of the glory of God. And we needed Christ. That is bedrock. That does not change. You don't have that with your teammates. You don't have that at your job. You don't have that with your classmates. You don't have that with the people that you exercise with. The people in your Zumba class or whatever you do, wherever you go, you don't have that with them. This is the common theme, and it never will change. Look in the room today. This is your covenant family. Many of them are in it. Don't forsake this for things outside. Yes, engage, but don't forsake this. It's a common thread that goes through us. So how do we operate If the gospel is our core foundation for all of our community and our family, it links us together for eternity, people. This is forever. How do we function in light of this? Yeah, we're in this covenant family. How do we live and how do we walk in it? Paul gives us an instruction. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12, we're going to go 9 through 13. And I want to walk through what this looks like. I'm going to give you a heads up. Our response to that is not come to church on Sunday. Shake a few hands. Say hello. I'll see you next week. Go to Cheddar's. That's not what we're getting ready to see. That was my Paul's church. That's what they did. That's not a church in the Bible. How do we respond to the community? And let's look at this in Romans 12, 9. First thing he tells us to do, all this is a community thing. There's not an individual instruction to each one of you. This is a group Covenant family, do these things. If you are in a community already at this church, you're like in a small group. There's a group of people that you do life with. They're Christians. You sharpen off. If you are in one, does your group look like these things? Are you doing these things in these groups? That's your measure. If you're not in community yet, these are the things we should be doing. And my aim is to push you into community at the end of service. So that's where we're going. The first thing Paul tells us, let love be genuine. So that means let it not be hypocritical. Let genuine love flow in here with the body of Christ. See, it's easy for us to, uh, to be very hypocritical, to learn how to act externally, isn't it? We can all come in. Sunday, I know when to raise my hands, I know when to clap, I know when to sit, I know when to stand, I know how to do all those things. I can speak Christianese to you. I can act a certain way and put on an external image to you that doesn't reveal an internal reality. It's very easy for us to do that, especially in the Bible Belt. But if the common thread that we just heard about in Corinthians, that we all fall short of the glory of God, we're weak We're sinful people, we're rebellious, our shortcomings are all over the place. If that's the common thread, why would I not feel safe in letting you know my shortcomings? Why? We just talked about that. Why do I need to make myself prettier than I actually am? By putting up an external front that says, I'm really better, I'm I'm doing great, but I'm not struggling. A covenant community creates a safe environment for people to struggle with well and reveal that and it's okay to do that are you in a community that allows you to be genuine or do you feel like you have to walk a certain way and you don't want anybody to get close to you because you want to be 
hypocritical, an external image that doesn't reveal an internal reality. And Paul says there's no need for that. You don't have to do that. We've all fallen short. If you're not in a community, and this is the place that you come into Sunday, this is a very safe place because no one's going to confront you, right? But when you get into a community, when you narrow that down into people, is that environment safe? Does it allow you to be imperfect, to show who you really are? That you are in need of Christ's righteousness every single day? That environment has got to be safe to reveal who we are. And here's what he says next. Abhor what is evil. We have a personal responsibility to hate and make war against the sin in our own life. Because we see it, right? We know that. This is a community effort to abhor what is evil. To come around together with commonality, like-minded people, to collectively abhor sin and make war against it. Here's what you and I know. I, just like you, we all have blind spots. Blind spots is something that in our life that we're not surrendering to God. We're falling short daily. We know what it is. We all have them by definition. That's why they're called blind spots. How great of a benefit is it for us to have brothers and sisters in our life that will point out our blind spots for us? Now that's hard. We don't like somebody to point out our blind spots, do we? That's a very difficult thing. I pray that God would soften me up to that every single day because my pride wants to get in the way. Whoa, where are you coming? If someone approaches me like that, if it's biblical, I'm gonna, I've got to be receptive to it. I have to. But let me tell you what. If you're in a community of people, let me tell you what shallow, sad, cheap, hypocritical love looks like is when you see a brother or sister in danger and your response is, I hope they stop doing that. I know this is very dangerous. I hope that they quit doing those things. I don't want to talk to them because they might get offended by me. You're catering to ego and not their soul. Real love says, I care about your soul more than your feelings and your friendship. I care more about you as a friend who's doing something very dangerous right here. If they're a follower of Jesus, they receive it. And if I am, I am confronting others. If my kids are playing out, how unloving would this be? My kids are playing out in the middle of Alma Row, smack in the middle. And I sit back as a parent and I say, Woo, I hope this works out. I hope this ends up well. There's a lot of cars going fast, but they're having so much fun. Right? They're enjoying this. This must be great. I don't want to mess up their fun. They may not think I'm a cool dad anymore. I don't want to uh, control them. I would be a wicked parent if I did that, right? I engage my children when they're in danger. And I say, this is dangerous. Do you see that squirrel over there that's flat down on the ground? Do you want that to be you? No. All right, stay out of the road. But a shallow, a shallow love doesn't engage your neighbor. And here's what I want you to know. On Sunday, no one sees your blind spots. If you come in, you sit, you leave, you come back next Sunday, you sit and you leave, and you don't engage community, you're not letting people see your blind spots. Therefore, you're good. 
And you're for Christian, you invite them into, hey man, point out my blind spots. I need that. So not only you're robbing that, that no one's walking with you, you're not able to point out other people's blind spots. You are unable, if you are not connected to this covenant family outside of Sunday, you're not able to execute any of that passage. No one's there for you because they don't know you, and then you're not helping anyone else either. You're robbing them, all right? Now, the second part of this, of this passage, so abhor what is evil. So not only, not only do we engage people and, and call sin out, but here's what we don't do. We don't run around like a bunch of whistleblowers ready to call fouls, all right? We don't walk around like church refs and like blow the whistle, foul, sin, sin, sin. We're pointing it out. That's not what this is about. How miserable would that be, by the way? If all we ever did was just walk around and point out all the shortcomings in people's lives. The church is doing this. The church does this. Fault, blow the whistle, foul, 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 all over the place. How miserable would that be? When you're not in community, it's easy to do that because there's a distance between you and those people. Paul says not only do you do that, you hold fast to what is good. You encourage those to do good works. You stir up one another in good works. So I try to make it my mind to fixate every single week, how might I encourage more people? If it's a Facebook comment or a call, an email, an in-person, whatever, how can I say, great job, man, Proud of what you're doing. I'm so excited about how God's working in your life. I'm trying to stir up and encourage good work. We need that. You need that. This is a hard walk. Being a follower of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. You need encouragement. If you are not in a community, you can't be encouraged. I can't encourage you if you don't get connected in some way. And then not only are you not encouraged, you are unable to encourage others. You must get into a covenant community with your family. All right, let's keep going in this passage. In verse 10, he says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So Paul not only just says do something, he says love one another Right, That's a pretty foundational thing to have love based upon the gospel with brotherly affection. So now he's not said just do something. He wants us to feel something. How do you feel something when you and I know this is problematic? Brotherly affection with every single follower of Jesus, that can be hard sometimes if we're just being completely honest. I'll raise my hand to that. That's a hard thing to do. So how do we love other people with brotherly affection when they get on our nerves sometimes. How do we do that? Well, the first thing that we do, we always base love out of the definition that God demonstrated on the cross. We say, okay, how do I love that? Oh, yeah, God loved rebellious, prideful, arrogant, haughty, all of those things, sinful person that I am. Oh, yeah. He loved me. He demonstrated it. So therefore, I extend that same to others. That love receivers must be love givers as well. So that's the foundation of the love that we give. It's modeled in the gospel. 
Now, the second way that we do that with brotherly affection is, is simply this. Have you ever um, passed judgment on someone because you were not engaged in a community relationship with them? I've, I've done it. I'll raise my hand to that. I, I projected what I thought that person was doing. They're going through this. These are their shortcomings, judgment upon them. But then once I engaged in a conversation with them, a personal conversation where I heard their story, their shortcomings, their weaknesses, and their dependence on God, then my judgment turned into affection. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get into a group of people, it's like, whoa, I did not know that about you. I was cold-hearted. I was judgmental. Now I've got an affection for you. If you don't engage in community, you can't extend brotherly affection. It's all cold. How you doing? Good week. See you next week. It's very superficial, right? That's not real community that we're looking at. We've got to push forward. Let's get going in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Be, don't be slothful. We get this. Don't be lazy. Be a, be a pursuer of ferocious pursuit of these things. And remember, the root is that we're serving the Lord. Not an obedience to life point because they're telling me to go do these things. Not go serve in a community, uh, serve at church, serve this. It's all about serving the Lord. So everything that we do is based upon Serving the Lord. All right, it's the foundation. Let's keep going to 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. So here's what Paul is collectively, once again, he's calling all believers in the covenant family. He says, let us rejoice in hope together. Let us rejoice in hope. What hope? A hope that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. That he will bring before us One day, a day where there will be no more memorials. There will be no candlelight vigils. There will be no more cancer, nor sickness, nor diabetes. No tears, no sorrow. None of those things will come. So we hope with that. That's a common hope that you have with people that are in a covenant family. You don't have that same hope with people that are not in the covenant. And why are we patient in tribulation? Because we're not there yet. So we're patient. Patient in tribulation. So this is clearly letting us know that there's going to be things that are going to happen. Regardless of where you're at today, what you're walking through in your relationship with Christ. Nothing that you're dealing with today, if it's considered tribulation, has not passed through the hand of God before it befalls upon you. Think that for just a moment. Nothing. Nothing that you're dealing with down here did not pass through his hands that he allowed to happen. So sometimes what I'm going through today, what what I might need, what you might need that will create an, an affection, a passionate pursuit of more God, what I might need is maybe a little bit of pain. And for God to not wound me, would be him robbing me of more of him. That's not always the case, but we sometimes confuse blessings, earthly blessings with God's, man, God's blessings. We would take things like health, wealth, cars, job, money. We take those things and we automatically assume that they're all blessings. Well, sometimes those are God's wrath. He says, you want those things more than me? Have at it. Go get them. 
right? So we've got to be careful in how we view tribulation and what those things are. We shouldn't be surprised when tribulation comes. We have to be prepared for those and be patient. John the Baptist was called the greatest born of women. You know that how, how that ended for John? Uh, he was beheaded in a prison. All right? God took Moses, man, a chosen Moses, fearless leader, took him, and after 40 years of dysfunction, grumbling, whiny people, God says, Moses, come up to the mountain. He gets to the top of the mountain, cracks open the sky, says, behold, the promised land. Now I'm going to kill you, and Joshua is taking you in. That's what he says, right? That's the truth of what he says. Now, that's not a build a, good, a big church. I want to let you know that. You don't say those things to try to build a big church. But I tell you that because I'm more concerned about you being prepared for the sorrows that might come your way and know that a sovereign God is holding those things in his hand. And nothing you have has not passed through his hands before. Being constant in prayer, as it says, a collective people, we know that individual prayer is important, but we collectively pray. We come together because there's something powerful in prayer when the body of Christ prays that cannot happen at your house. That's why Hebrews 10 tells us to not neglect to meet together. That's not just for Sunday. That's seven days a week to be in life community with each other. There's power there. Let's keep going to 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So if you are here and you're a part, you say, I go to the creek. All right, let's just kind of leave it loose. Contribute to the needs. Are you here each week just consuming? Are you consuming your needs? I'm consuming, I'm drinking, I'm eating, I'm feeding, but never contributing to the needs of the saints. That's people in here. That's your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not going down to feed the homeless. This is not going out to, to uh, missions and room at the end. That's external evangelism kind of outwardly missional work. This says contribute to the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ in here. And it means someone should be contributing to your needs. If you're not in community and you sit and you leave and you sit and you leave, I don't know your needs we don't know your needs. We can't help you. So what happens when something befalls upon you? Struggle, strife, job loss, sickness. You don't know what to do. So then you reach out to other people that are not in your covenant. Or you call the church office because you don't know anyone here. I don't know anyone. Or you call the one person that you do know. That's not community. We invite you into this because here's the deal. There will be a time where it will be your turn for a need. It will happen. You will have a need. We as a church, me as a pastor, I want to love you enough to invite you into a community where we can meet your needs. And then obviously that you can contribute to other people's needs and you can execute this passage. That's how we do that. Second thing he says is to seek to show hospitality. Be hospitality-minded with the things that God has given. That structure that you live in, called your home, was God's gift to you on loan for his purpose. And here's the way we execute that here at our church. We have 
small groups, at homes. People host those things in their house. We have about 15 of those small groups that kind of happen loosely. And they say, I don't care about my carpet. might get a little dirty. might get a lamp broken. I'm going to show hospitality. I'm going to do it without grumbling. Maybe a little bit of grumbling, all right? Maybe a little bit. But you say, hey, I'm going to allow my home, and I'm going to show hospitality to other people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so thankful if you lead groups in your home, and I know who you are. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for getting it. But there's more people that are desperate for community, and they need small groups as well. We need more leaders. So if you're interested in doing that and you, you want to step out and show the needs, the seek hospitality with brothers, come find us when we get done. We want to try to talk you through that to equip you to offer up those things and be obedient to this text. Let's keep going. Now in this, I kind of want to press in this last part and get a little bit personal. Some of you are like, man, hadn't you been personal enough already? Uh, maybe, all right? As I, as I stir up today with the action of wanting you to get connected to a community. We have 500 people on campus, typically on a Sunday, kids included. The idea is community can't happen with 500 on Sunday, so you need to know that. Community happens when we could take that funnel and we start narrowing it down to 10 to 20 to 50 people. Branching off in smaller groups where you can live and execute all those things in the passage we just looked at. That's how we do that. So some of you today, you're like, that's awesome. I do that. I'm already participating in community. I love that. That doesn't bother me at all. Or see, nothing you've said has really offended me because I know that's what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. And then some others have wounds. And when I start to press into this wound, you start to get hurt. You've been hurt maybe by imperfect people in the church, leadership, staff, people dysfunctional in the body of Christ. You were not hurt by the church. You were hurt by imperfect people in the church. My heart goes out to you. It really does. But I know this, that the beauty of the gospel is that he would take dysfunctional, shortcoming people like me and other staff members And he would use that for his glory. He still uses, despite of who we are. I say that because your disengagement from covenant family, covenant community, that excuse does not hold weight in Scripture. I'm just sorry. You you won't find anything in there that says, well, I'm not going to engage in community. I don't want to get too close to those people because they'll turn on me. I don't want them to know about my sin. That last church did something horrible. There's just no excuse. If we're your church, we want you to engage in the battle against dysfunction and hypocrisy that we're in. Fight us in here. Come on, please. Right? Belong and start to belong here at this church. We, we want you to. We, we, we love you. All right? The individual Christian, the private Christian. I don't need to do that to be a Christian, R.C. I'm more of a private. I'm more of an introvert Christian. I don't have to engage a lot of people. Here's what I want you to know. I don't know what that number is when you're talking about community. I know it's not zero. And I know it's not one, my husband or my wife. 
And I know it's not just my family only. That is not community. It's the body of Christ. It might be 10 people. It might be 15. It might be 50. I don't know. You don't have to get on stage, but you do have to engage in community. And carrying the excuse of an introvert or private Christian also carries no weight. We're wanting to conform. We're wanting to love you enough to get you in the game with these people. All right? So here's the two pieces. Two pieces falls on one on you, one on me. What falls on us as a church is to raise up and equip the saints to be leaders in the home to facilitate these groups. These life groups, these discipleship groups, small groups, whatever you call we are called to do that. And we're constantly looking for people to do that. If you're interested in doing that, come see me. The second part falls on you. And you have to engage and you have to take serious the commands of God and make it a priority in your life. Do you realize that uh, the, the, the concept of dating is not in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. The idea of, of, of courtship or pursuing a, a woman or a man for the sole purpose is for marriage only. There's no such thing as casual dating in the Bible. That's a cultural thing. I say that because there's a lot of people here that have been casually dating the creek for a long time with no intent of marrying this church. And it's not healthy. You want loose connections. You don't want to get too close. As you get too close, there's going to be commitment, and you're in it. You can't turn back now, and you're, you're fearful. It's like being engaged forever and ever and ever and ever and never getting married. That would be miserable, right? And you just simply need to engage and, and find out, is this the church that you want to belong, and you need to begin to belong here? Some of you are checking our church out. You're, you're in a, we're in this courtship with you. Is this going to be the church that I marry? Is this not? You're doing it with us and we're doing it with you. That's awesome. You need to take your time and do that well. Do all of the investigative work up front before you jump in. You should do that. shouldn't take you a year to do that, right? But it should take you some time. That's good. Ask questions. Push back. We'll love to do that with you. But, but to allow you to come weak after week, after week, after week, for month after month and year after year would not be a loving thing to allow you to continue to do that. And I'd say, hey, we love you. Would you enter into this relationship with us? Some of you haven't joined our church, and that you're in that engagement kind of phase. On January the 17th is our next member luncheon. That's our proposal to you, so to speak. Hey, you want to marry us? Come on, let's, let's talk about it. Figure out what we're doing. We're inviting into and you might get married that day. I don't know. We hope that you do. But that's the process that day. And some of you need to do that. That needs to be your, your next step. Before you even try to connect to community, we want to know that you're all in. Because the idea, here's what I want to press in. And the guys are going to come out. We'll, we'll wrap up. Here's what I want you to know. The idea and the concept of going to church is not biblical. I'm going to repeat that. The idea of going to a church is not biblical. The concept of covenant community is. All right? Our culture is created to, I go to church. Well, are you a part of our church? Are you a part of covenant community? Are you a part of the family of God? If you are, 
we, we do those things. We, we are part of that. We're not perfect, Adam. We fall short all the time, but we are committed to pursuing these things. I long for you unconnected people to be a part of our family, to feel affection, to have people engage you at blind spots out of love, to stir up good deeds, to show hospitality. We want that desperately for you. I want that for you. But it takes you. <laughs> you got to step out and you have to move it up to the priority list because here's what I do know. Priorities have a way of working themselves to the top of the list. If it's a priority, you'll move it there. All of the things that Paul has laid out today are not suggestions. They're commands. So if you say, well, that's just what you want to do. That's like a worship style or a carpet color or a paint wall. You're just suggesting things for us to do. No, it's not. These are biblical commands that I want to help lead you to not only an obedience, but a joy that's on the other side that awaits you of a covenant family that you're not yet experiencing, but you can. You can and, I, and you will, and I'm inviting you to that. So here's what you do today. Uh, we want to just blanket get contact information. If you are unconnected in any way of a community, you're like, I don't have community. I have my family. I know one or two people, but I don't really know, and I want to, I want to be obedient to that. After service, go outside in the lobby. There's a guy named John Diamond. He's our small groups coordinator. And, uh, man, he loves to talk, sometimes too long. But he wants to talk to you and, 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 and get you, just get your information. Hey, this is who you are, and we'll contact you and say, hey, we're going to work through this. We're going to try to get you connected to these communities. We want to help you do that. So go stop and talk to him on the way out today. Let's pray. God, we love you. Always love reading uh, the truth of your word and, and defining what church means to so many people in this room. I pray that you always straighten us out as we get sometimes on crooked paths of defining what it is. Father, as people today that have not yet surrendered to Jesus, they're not yet a part of the covenant family. And although I want them to connect to those things, connect to the people, connect to groups, all of those things. Father, before that, I want them to know that they need to connect with you, the creator of the universe first. They, that they are not connected with you and that you clearly show us that the only way to be connected to you is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, move us to action today to respond how you would see us fit. Father, help our men to lead their families well, to be spiritual leaders of their home and would take seriously the commands and say, we need to do this. Father, I pray for wives to be encouragers to their spouses. They would stir up good things and encouraging. Father, I pray that they would not hold back on engaging in community, that they would simply step out on their own and do that as well. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name.